Welcome to the Sunday Preaching Podcast of The Point Church, located in Perdido Key, Florida. We believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Worship team, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to be reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The book of Philippians, as he said, we're, we're transitioning to a series in the book of Philippians. We'll be there for uh, nine weeks. Uh, Philippians is in the New Testament. It's nestled between the books of Ephesians and Colossians. Now listen, if you have to get your table of contents, there's no shame in, in doing that. No shame in that game whatsoever. I still do that from time to to time, especially in the Old Testament, because we all know sometimes those pages stick together and you need to get to those quickly. Uh, I shared that with, the, um, with Midpoint, uh, at, in, at Midpoint, excuse me, on Wednesday night in our study of 1 John. I remember when I first became a believer, I had no idea uh, where any of the books were. Uh, if you told me to turn to the book of Genesis, I would look at the table of contents. I had no context uh, for the book or where things were, what so ever. Uh, I know we initially, several weeks ago, communicated that we would actually preach through the book of James, and uh, we, we even created a, a, an outline for the book of James or a preaching schedule for what passages we would preach on what day and all those types of things. And, and we got together as a preaching team, and, and we had a, a big theological reason on why we're, we're going to pivot to the book of Philippians, and the theological reason is, is that we just wanted to. That's it, that's all. Uh, but we thought that it was just a little bit more appropriate to preach through the book of Philippians and not the book of James. And, and there's several reasons for that. I won't bore you with all the details there. But we just thought the book of Philippians was probably a little bit more appropriate in this season of our church. So again, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 is one of the most popular verses uh, in Philippians. Probably not the most, but it's well known. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, I'll making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers for me, with me, of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And the reading of the Word of God, and everyone said, Amen. Most of you are probably familiar with this book. It's a well-known book for people within the church, believers, non-believers alike, because there are a lot of well-known passages in the book of Philippians. Uh, the book of Philippians is well-known for communicating one major thing. Can anyone tell me? 
Joy, very good, very good. Say it with confidence, joy, capital J-O-Y. Paul uses the word joy, or a variation of the word, 16 times in such a short book of 104 verses. And so you can kind of see what point he was trying to get to the church at Philippi, encouraging them to continue having joy no matter the circumstances that they were in or experiencing. Now, we could all use a little bit of joy, couldn't we? We could all use a little bit more joy in our lives, couldn't we? Sometimes fighting for joy just seems like the most difficult thing to do. Sometimes it feels like we're in a literal fist fight to be able to experience joy in our life. Sometimes we just don't want to have joy. Sometimes we just want to relish in our circumstances at times. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we crave for joy and we just don't know how to have it. And we all do, I think, as believers want to experience the joy that only God can give us. And even as I speak about joy, some in this room have already spoken to themselves and said, I wish I had joy. Some of you might be sitting there and saying, well, joy, not, not, not right now. There's no way I could experience joy in my life. Well, let me encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that our ultimate joy is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that might seem just like a generic statement, and yes, we know that, but encourage yourself and say that to yourself, that Jesus Christ our Lord is our ultimate source of joy. We need to be reminded of that constantly on a day-to-day basis, sometimes every single moment of our day, that Jesus Christ our Lord is our ultimate source of joy, and that is our ultimate source, even when we feel as if He is distant from us. Even as if we feel He is not present at all. Have you ever experienced that before? That He is in the other room as we pray, not really engaging with us, not really having the desire to actually listen to the words that we say to Him. He's even our ultimate source of joy when we say, and we say, not this again, after we've had bad news, after bad news, after bad news, after bad news. Now, I may not know your current circumstance. I know some of your current circumstances in your, your current season of life. And I would also say that I don't know every little detail, but I know the one who does. I know the one who knows exactly what you're feeling and what you're going through. And I must also admit that some of your circumstances that some people may or may not know about, and you may have kept it to yourself, Maybe a circumstance that I may never experience, and I may never have that sort of pain in my life. But I, I want you to know, I want you to know something. I want to encourage you with this. This is what I know. God is not distant from you. He's not on the other side of the world. He's not in another room. He is very present in your life. He's very present. In your life. You might be saying, well, well I, I wish he'd show up. I, I need him. He is, he is present in your life. He's there. And I also know this. We are glad that you are here today, sitting in this church. 
For some of you, it took everything you had to get in your car and to drive here. For some of you, you just wanted the alarm clock just to be turned off and roll over and fall asleep again. But something urged you to be here today. And we are glad that you came. It is not by accident that you are here. God ordained that you are here. And we are glad that you are here. And I want to say thank you for coming, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart. You have great value, and we have great joy in you. And if you don't hear it, I want you to hear it now, and I'll probably say it a couple of times, you have great value. You have great value. You are important. And I'm glad that you're here. You are not forgotten. People love you and they care for you. They think of you frequently and they have an affection for you. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation. I know that I have, admittedly. I said this in the last service that there have been seasons in my life and I think, is anybody thinking of me? I mean, just is anybody out there at all? You may be thinking, is anyone praying for me? Have they forgotten? No one's calling, no one's texting, no one's emailing me. Where is everybody at? Let me remind you, even when people do fail you, God is very present in your life. And He is constant, and He has an affection for you. And because of that, we are called to have what the sermon title is called, a joyful affection. We are to have a joyful affection And Paul is writing to the Philippians because he has a genuine, joyful affection for them. And his feelings or his relationship with the Philippians now is a little bit different than all the other relationships that he had. You see, this is the very first Jesus community that has started in Eastern Europe and probably the first Jesus community that has started underneath his ministry. Now, you can read this in Acts chapter 16, which I will get to an overview here in just a moment. The city of Philippi was a city in the region of Macedonia. If you know anything about the Roman Empire, they were known for their patriotic nationalism. That you were to serve Caesar and no one else. That you were to uphold the Roman Empire values and nothing else. You were to not worship any other gods or religions, especially not Jesus. Christians in the city most likely face some sort of persecution, and that's why he's writing them to encourage them. And many people and some scholars may say, well, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi because they had all the nice tangible needs and all the, the, the amenities, uh, upscale amenities of that day. And though that, are, that is true, it's most likely because of the persecution. And he wanted to encourage them to press on and stay within the faith and just finish the race. For all we know, the Philippians didn't do anything wrong. We can tell from this letter anyway. There's no visible moral or theological issues, which, let me be honest, after we spent months in 1 Corinthians, it's quite refreshing to preach about a church that did pretty much everything right, or that we know of anyway. And Paul is just encouraging them to stay steadfast. And some of the parts of the letter might, we might think is Paul getting onto them, or, but it's not really. It's an encouragement. He just wanted to encourage them because he had a joyful affection for them to continue having joy no matter their current or future circumstances. So how does a person experience joyful affection or how does a person experience biblical joy? First and foremost, biblical joy is found in our affection in relationships. Affection in relationships. You've heard many times 
in this church and outside of the church in different arenas that you are created for relationships, right? You are created to be around people. You're not created to live in isolation. You cannot do life alone. It's not something that we are created to do, be by ourselves. We can't do it. You are here in this church because you know the importance of being with people. There's something even psychologically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, that being with people and touching them physically, shaking their hands or hugging or whatever it is, in person, it just does something to you. I've shared it from this platform uh, probably more than once, but I think it's appropriate. Uh, I'm a person that likes to get away at times and just to kind of be in silence and kind of rejuvenate. And, uh, you know, Jesus did it, so I feel like I need to do it too. That's my excuse to Brooke anyway. Uh, whenever she wants to get in a deep conversation right before bed, it's like Jesus rested. Now it's time for rest. Uh, but years ago, she, she traveled out of town with the two boys, our two boys, and had to go visit family. And so there was going to be about two or three days where I was by myself. And I, I'm going to be honest, I was looking forward to it, just kind of getting some things done at the house. And maybe I was going to take a moment or two, just kind of breathe, right? And it'd be in a quiet home and, and, and so on and so forth. And she, was, she left early in the morning and Around 2 or 3 o'clock, I felt myself getting a little lonely. I thought, man, this is really quiet around here. It's getting kind of boring. And then around 10 o'clock at night, I went to bed, and I found myself not being able to fall asleep. Now, listen, I didn't get married to, to sleep in the bed by myself. And so I had a hard time trying to fall asleep without Brooke being there. And so I, I, I got up and put some clothes on. I did what any responsible adult would do at 10 o'clock at night who couldn't sleep. I went to Walmart. Because I knew people were going to be there. And I might see somebody I know. And they might say to themselves, what's this guy doing out at 10 o'clock? And I would say, what's this person doing at 10 o'clock? What are they doing? And I had to get the essential needs at 10 o'clock. I had to get batteries and laundry detergent because you need that at 10 o'clock at night. But all that to say is that we crave to be with people. We do. You lock yourself up for a week all by yourself and you will be going crazy. You are here because you understand the importance of not just being with people, but worshiping the God who's on the throne with other people. That is a vital component to our lives, especially the Christian life. You came here because you have a love for God, and He has a love for you. And that should give us joy, knowing that God loves us. It should. The one who is on the throne created you with great detail, specific detail. There's no one else like you at all ever existed or ever will exist. The one who is on the throne in control of all things created you and loves you. That should give us a great amount of joy. Tremendous amount of joy. And I'll say this, even if you think no one else loves you, he does. But that is a lie that no one else loves you. They do. Not only does God love you, but you have someone in this building that loves you. Even if you don't know anyone's name in this place, or you genuinely don't know anyone, it might be your first time, and you don't know a single soul here, I have, I have a confession, and we must admit, church, is that we have a great love for you. We do. We genuinely love seeing new people come here, and we love you. But our most affectionate relationship shouldn't necessarily be just with each other. It should first and foremost be with God. We should be affectionate in our relationship with Him. 
The way our relationship with God begins in our understanding of that position in the relationship. Sometimes we approach our relationship with God as transactional. Right? You know what I mean? Is that we approach God and we say, God, I need something from you. And once he gives it to you, we may not pray with him, to him or speak with him again. Uh, some of us, we might view our relationship with God in a way that elevates our personal status. Meaning that we tell others that we worship God or we have a relationship with Christ and it elevates our status with them or in our community. Or it might elevate our status, what we think, with God. If we serve God in this way or we serve a little bit more here or there, God will think more of us. But that's not true. God loves you in exactly the way that you are, right? As a Christ follower. But notice how Paul approaches and views his relationship with God here in verse 1. What's he say? Servants of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus. Some of your translations might actually say or use the word slave. The Greek word is doulos, which means slave. He viewed himself and every believer primarily as a slave of the Lord. We are to serve him and we are to obey him at all costs and in every moment of our lives. Now listen, for him to say that he's a servant or a slave of Christ Jesus is, is really quite remarkable because in every single way he had the credentials to be able to brag to these people to say, hey, listen, I know all the answers. Hey, believe me because I've experienced a lot. I could probably prove you wrong or give you all the right answers. If you have a question, I could do that. The scriptures communicate that he is a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Again, he had the credentials and he could have boasted in those credentials, but he doesn't. He submitted himself to Christ Jesus, and his life was a life of complete service to him. He refers to himself as a servant because he is one. But he's also saying that to the Philippians to know that that is required of them also, that you are to serve Christ Jesus our Lord, because complete submission and devotion to Jesus Christ is required by every single believer. And you see throughout these 11 verses that complete devotion to Jesus is required. Every single one. I don't need to read every single one of them out again. But you see complete devotion, the encouragement to be devoted to Him. But you know one of the biggest reasons believers are called to be completely devoted to Jesus? Now, we could make a big, long list of all the reasons we are to be devoted to Him. And they wouldn't necessarily be wrong. One of the biggest reasons we are called to be devoted to Him is because He is completely devoted to us. He's completely devoted to you as an individual. You might not have had any individual be completely devoted to you. You might crave for people to be devoted to you, just to speak truth into you, to add value to you. And all those things, I think, are necessary. But know that God is devoted to you For those struggling to experience joy in the season or those that are about to face a grueling trial. Because if you are not in a current trial right now, you are about to face one at some time in your life. And many of us would say you're about to face many grueling trials or difficult circumstances or seasons in your life. It's a part of our life. It just is that God has not forgotten about you. God has not forgotten about you. He is on your team. I assure you of that. Verse 6 says that he began a good work in you and he will bring it to completion at the day of what? Jesus Christ. God is a God. God is a man of his word. What he begins, he will finish it. 
You see, in James chapter 5, that we are to be, be a, a person of, of a, our letter, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. God is a yes God. He started it and He will finish it in your life. That's all there is to it. He is not done with you yet. If you think He's forgotten you or He's somewhere else, He's not present in your life, I assure you, encourage you, He is not. He's still working in you and producing something in you. Though it may be peculiar, it is for His glory. No matter your current circumstance, you can have joy knowing that God is producing something in you, He's producing something for you, and He's producing something for His glory. He has picked you out for that peculiar assignment. and He could have picked anyone else for that. But He picked you. And you can be grateful for that. I said this in the last service. You, you might be experiencing something, even if it's not a difficult season altogether. Maybe just some things that are aggravating. Just wondering to yourself, am, am I actually making a difference in anyone's life? And what I do, am, is what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis actually does it actually mean anything? Does, any, does anyone care what I do? Your, your life might seem just so plain and redundant. And you do the same thing every day. You say hey to the same people every morning. You drive the same office every single day. And it just seems plain. And you, you're investing in these particular individuals. And you just see no fruit. You're just wondering, uh, God, what, what, are you, what are you doing? Can I, can I be honest with y'all? There's been plenty of times in my life where I have wondered, Lord, Lord, is what I'm doing important? I have experienced that. But does, does it, all of it matter? Let me just encourage you that whatever it is in your life right now, if you are a Christ follower, you have an incredible calling that's been placed on your life. Let me encourage you, it is extraordinary what you are doing. When I was coming up and and began full-time vocational ministry, you would hear this quite frequently. There's a great temptation for pastors to preach at the largest churches, to, to see the most salvations, to, to do all the big things, to be invited to all these places to speak. And, and if you don't have any of that, then you're not very successful in ministry. And God must not be using you that much. And I fell into that temptation because none of that happens with me. <laughs> Right? But I'm encouraged by God and His Word that this calling is a good calling. And it's an extraordinary calling. Listen, I'm a father of two wonderful boys, and that's an extraordinary calling to minister to them. And if and if that's the only two individuals that come to know Christ and And well done. I say that with great confidence. Not meaning that I don't want to make a difference in anyone else's life, 
But that is a great calling. Some of you are out there, fathers, you're wondering if what you're doing, all the hours that you're putting into your job and all those things, if they matter. Single moms are out here wondering what in the world is just going on. Listen, that is an extraordinary calling. You live it to the fullest, fulfill it to the fullest. That is an extraordinary calling. Whatever it is on your life, you do that. Be grateful for it. And even though it may be painful physically and spiritually, mentally, all the things, we can be grateful that God is still with us and He is working something in you. Even though we might say, God, are you, are you sure you just can't give this to somebody else? I've said that too, haven't you? Just to take it away. I heard someone say recently, pain is not a bad thing. Pain is actually a good thing because it reminds us that we're still living. And it still reminds us that we're living for His glory. Imagine the pain that Jesus felt. So whatever it is that you've been given in this season, no matter your circumstances, strive to have a joyful affection so that we see in verses 10 and 11, you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In all circumstances, we should be thankful to God that we have Christ Jesus, for this is our fullest, most lasting and satisfying joy. It's it. It's eternal. Now, if we are to have a joyful affection for God, we will naturally have a joyful affection for people. Let me just say this. God is constant. He's never changing, right? We, we all, we're all on the same page with that. We're all on the same page that God is constant. He never changes. Just do this for me. There you go. People are not. People are crazy. People are different. We all have different personalities. We do. We all have our different opinions. Not two, in, two individuals in this room would not agree on 100% of everything. It just wouldn't happen. All the married couples said amen, right? You didn't say amen to that. Just, that's, that's wise. I'm glad that you didn't. One person did last service, and I, I may have to counsel them. But uh, you know, if, you, if you're married, you know that people are just different from you. And people will fail you and they'll, they'll do things against you. But remember in Matthew chapter 22, the great commandment, the disciples asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the great, greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? Your mind. That's, that's, they already knew and understood that. But then Jesus didn't stop. He said, This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Even though people will fail you, and they will, even though they are sometimes different than you, and even though they might slander you behind your back, love them. Have an affection for them. Paul loved the Philippians. He opened in verse 3. He says, I thank my God in my remembrance of you. He took the time while in prison, remember, to write them a letter of encouragement to let them know that he had them on his mind. Let me also encourage you to do this. If we were to have a joyful affection for people, encourage them with your words. Use your words to encourage them. If they do something well, go up to them and say that they did it well and use great detail on what they did well. It doesn't take much to encourage a person, to lift them up in a time of difficulty. It doesn't take much at all. Listen, I don't know that anyone in this room would say, you know, I, I, don't, need, I don't need encouragement. 
I, I don't know that anyone would deny that. I love encouragement. I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you. I love encouragement. I, I love when someone tells me a good job, right? I, I don't do things just to get words of encouragement. I, I don't do that. But we all appreciate and value encouraging things said to us. Because our world is filled with negativity, with negative words and negative thoughts. Be an encourager to people. Do that. You know, so many times when we approach people, more often than not, we're going up to them to telling them what they did wrong or what they need to improve on. And sometimes, a lot of times, that is needed. But how often do we go up to a person and say, well done? Or to take the time to write them a handwritten letter just to say thank you. You did this well, and that's it. It communicates that you value them, and in your encouragement, you will add value to them. And when someone feels valued, they will value others. And when they value others, that will value the local church, and that will add value to the world, will it not? Yes, it will. And he not only thought of them, he prayed for them, again, affirming his love for them. And he mentioned praying for them three times in this passage in verses 1 through 11 because praying communicates our love for the people and also our love for God. It makes, our, makes us realize our dependence on Him. Have you ever been in a season where it's a, a difficult season and sometimes you forget to pray because sometimes praying just feels too difficult? I, I tend to think that that happens because we may not want to be dependent on God because we want to do it ourselves. But again, we're to be fully devoted to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Praying makes us realize that our dependence is completely from Him. And it can take the focus off of us and maybe even the focus off of the terrible circumstance that we're in and places it on Him, which is and can be a good thing. You see this in chapter 2, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Praying for people can change the world. Do you believe that? Praying for people you don't even know can bring about change. Praying for people you love can bring about change. Praying for people can change them. Listen, if you have a husband or a wife that you've been praying for to come to know Jesus, do not stop praying for them because you love them. You have a child that needs to come to know Jesus. You love them, so you pray for them, and you tell them that you pray for them. Even if they dislike it, you tell them and remind them that you pray for them. You might have a coworker that you've been praying for for a long time that despises you. You keep praying for them because you are called to love them no matter what circumstances. You continue to pray for people because we are to have a joyful affection in our relationships. And church, pray for your church. Pray for your church, for people to come to know Christ, for God to be glorified in this place and to make a difference in the community. Because Paul did, and it changed the world. Having joyful affection in relationships should encourage us to fulfill the mission that Christ gave us. Which leads to my second point. We are called to have affection for the mission. Affection for the mission. Paul was incredibly missional. We know that. He traveled all around the world at that time to share Jesus Christ with people because he knew the mission that God had for him. He had affection for the mission. He understood his assignment. And we know that Paul also had a lot of hardships, and he didn't view his hardships as, as a punishment whatsoever and saying, God, why me? Why now? It's, it, 
It could have felt bad news after bad news after bad news, but he did not view his hardships as a punishment. He viewed his hardships as a different opportunity to share the gospel in a different way that he would not have had without that hardship. After all, it's not his mission anyway. It is God's. But I think to understand the context of of his affection for the people of Philippi, the church at Philippi, I think we need to refer back to Acts chapter 16. Now, I'm not going to read that entire passage or that section there in Acts chapter 16, but I think it's important to go over that. Paul went to the city of Philippi, quite simply put, because there were no believers there. He saw a need, and he wanted to meet a need, and so he went to Philippi to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, there's reasons why there may have not have been believers. It could have been to the, because of the persecution that was happening all around the Roman Empire. Who knows? But what we do know is that there were not Christians in that region. You see in Acts chapter 16, three people came to know Christ while he was there. Now, there were more, but three specific individuals that we see. A woman named Lydia, a slave girl, and a Gentile jailer. A woman named Lydia a slave girl, and a Gentile jailer. Now, just reading it, you might think, yeah, people came to know Christ in his ministry, and that's how the church started. But let me just give you some context. And it's quite extraordinary. And Paul would have been familiar with this because, again, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. It was extremely common for Jewish men, for when they woke up in the morning, for them to pray and say, God, thank you for not making me a woman. Thank you for not making me a slave. And thank you for not making me a Gentile. The first three believers in his entire ministry is a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Church, God will build his church. He will save who he wants to save, and he will use who he wants to use. The the unlikely people. He builds his church. Lydia, the first convert. She's from a, a city called Thyatira. Now, knowing where she comes from tells us a lot. Knowing where she comes from and also where she currently lives in the city of Philippi tells us a whole lot more. What it tells us is that she was incredibly wealthy, most likely. It says that she was a seller of fine goods, so she was also a businesswoman, probably some sort of fashionista as well. And what we do know is that she feared God. Now, this could have meant two different things. Either she was a, a Jewish woman trying to hide her faith kind of in secret, Or she was a woman who was familiar with the Jewish God because it says that she wanted to reason with the Scriptures with Paul. She was an an intellectual. So what Paul does is he engages her intellectual, intellectual side of her, and she comes to know Christ. Quite simple. I wish it was that easy. I'm just saying, hey, yeah, here's the Scripture, here's the Bible, there's Jesus, and everyone gets saved. I wish it was that way. The slave girl seemingly hated Paul. Because every time Paul crossed her path, she would yell at him, chastise him, ridicule him. And I think I know why. Because he had the spirit living within him, and it says that she was possessed. That spirit did did not want Paul to be in that region whatsoever. Now, Paul didn't take the time to, to, to give her a gospel track and say, hey, come to church because there wasn't one. Hey, let's go to a Bible study about all your issues that are going on. No, he he. Quite frankly, just went up to her and said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And she came to know Christ. And we know that she came to know Christ because her entire countenance was transformed. It was changed. The gospel had such an impact on Lydia and the slave girl that it caused quite a ruckus in the entire city because Paul was sent to jail. While in jail, 
He and Silas prayed that they would get out of jail so that they could continue the work at hand to spread the gospel in the entire city. Remember what I just said a moment ago, that prayer changes things? That God does answer prayers. They prayed and prayed and prayed, and what does God do? He sends an earthquake, and the prison gates just fling wide open. Now, Paul and Silas, they stayed put. Now, they're really good Christians because if I was praying for God to get me out of jail and that happened, I probably would have just gotten out of there and ran. Right? They're much better than me in a minute. Y'all would have too, right? You would have ran like this, you know. Some of you might have done that before. Don't tell me if you have. Uh, but they stayed because they knew if they were to run, that that Gentile would be killed by Roman authorities because it was his duty. He was assigned to keep them in prison, to keep them captive. And they saw a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel with him. He, went, he started to take his sword out of the sheath and to kill himself because he knew what was going to happen to him. They said, no, 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 we're still here. We have not left. We've not gone anywhere. And his reply was, okay, what must I do to be saved? Because you are different. What must I do to be saved? And he comes to know Christ. And we see that his entire household comes to know Christ. With Lydia, he, Paul engages with her intellectually. With a slave girl, he engages her spiritually. With the Gentile, he engages him with a miracle and good old-fashioned Christian witness. Different people, different personal needs, same need for the gospel. Paul shows his affection for the mission as he is willing to become all things to all people, as it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. Now, if we were to send a church planning team to another city, or to start a church in the city of Philippi, these three individuals would probably not make our list. They wouldn't. You had a, a, a businesswoman. You had someone who was, who was brilliant, probably a great intellectual. You had someone who was maybe a little bit crazy. And you had a blue-collar guy. Three completely different people, three completely different backgrounds, had very little in common. They couldn't have been any different from one another. They were once strangers, but because of the gospel, they are now family. In verse 8, when Paul says, I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus, it's because he was there. He saw gospel transformation take place in the lives of these individuals. When he says, I thank my God in remembrance of you, he is talking about the woman who reasoned and questioned him. He's talking about the slave girl that chastised him. And he's talking about the jailer that held him captive. He knows this church. He won the souls for this church. He baptized these people. He gave his everything for them. He laid it all out for them. He had a, a, a joyful affection for the people here and for the mission. Paul was unstoppable. I, I want a church. Brothers and sisters, if we were so filled with joy that we would just be unstoppable for the sake of building God's kingdom. Would we be so filled with joy that only comes from Jesus that we would be completely invested in the lives of people in this church, in our community, and in our homes? Would you be that type of person? In the book, To Live as Christ, To Die is Gain, I feel like it highlights this moment very well in this context. It says this, in these incredible instances, referring to Acts chapter 16, the gospel defies race, defies class, defies status, and even defies aptitude. If we're honest with ourselves, we will admit that we tend to prefer to do life with people who are similar to us 
We live in neighborhoods and associate with people who are similar to us. Most of us go to church with people similar to us. This is the natural tendency of all people. This next statement here, this next sentence, but the gospel is not natural. As we see here in the odd beginnings of the Philippian church, the gospel blows the doors off our tidy little hegemonic communes and creates a whole new community that would never have formed without it. What was once divided is now unified in what? Love. Paul has the joyful affection in relationships and joyful affection for the mission because the gospel changes us. Aren't you thankful that the gospel changed you? I pray that we would submit to Jesus that the gospel would continue to change us. I was speaking with, with Pastor Joe and Pastor John as we prayed this morning before everyone got here and we got into the swing of everything and talking about the moment that we came to know Christ. I've said this many times and I'll never stop saying it. I remember the moment that Christ saved me. I was in my Ford 1995 F-150 with a squeaky universal joint and a terrible paint job. I don't know exactly what I said in my prayer, but I knew when I started driving on the road again that I knew that I had been changed by the Lord. I didn't know all the words. I didn't know anything about the Bible, but I knew that I was transformed by Jesus and the Spirit had resided within me. I want to encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself on a daily basis to remind you that you need to be changed by the gospel on a daily basis. You need to be sanctified in the name of Jesus. Become a better believer. All of us need that. And when we preach the gospel to ourselves, we are filled with joy. I'm thankful that God has given us His Word because sometimes we write around for God to tell us something and He's given us words. Remember when I said we want words, uh, encouraging words said to us. We have encouraging words that can be said to us every single day in any single moment through His Word. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and resurrected three days later. Now listen, to many people outside the walls of this church, that seems abnormal. And in a way it is, because why would someone come and live a perfect life, die for the sins of people, and resurrect three days later? I'm asked a lot of questions, and this is one thing that I may not be able to figure out 100%, but I do know this, that He loves us. That's it. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. It's not a, a prayer just from the scriptures that you have to pray or recite that saves you or something that's just memorized in some sort of other text or some prayer that someone told you to recite or say that saves you. But it's acknowledging that you're a sinner, that Jesus is Lord, and willingness to obey Him forever, being fully devoted to Him. 